I think at the end of the day, money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. And especially with couples, I've noticed, I mean, even in my own relationship um, with my wife, you know, money is, it's an incredibly personal thing. Welcome to the Couple Money Podcast, where we talk about how spouses can get on the same page, pay down their debt faster, and get on the path to financial freedom. I'm your host, Elle Martinez. Today's episode is brought to you by the free course, Five Days to 5K. Many couples I talk to know what they should be doing, right? Pay down that debt, save money for emergencies or whatever goal they have. The tricky part though is where do you find the money for those goals? Five Days to 5K is a free email-based course that helps you find, save, and earn extra money on the side so you can reach your goals faster. If you're interested, you can sign up at couplemoney.com slash 5K. It's almost the end of January. How are things going for you? Over at our Facebook group, Thriving Families, I've been keeping an eye on some of the goals you've been posting, and I'm really impressed. We're talking tackling debt, many of you mentioning really making a dent on your student loans, and some of you are trying to get rid of your credit cards. Meal prepping is also on the list. That's a fantastic money saver and will help you tremendously with your health goals too. Quite a few are talking about earning more, both through the regular job and as well as side hustles. And on the surface, these goals seem to go in different directions. But when we've been discussing in the group the whys behind the goals, I notice a recurring theme. Having more flexibility and security for our families. And for many, that path includes reaching financial independence. But when you're deep in debt or you're just starting out, it can seem overwhelming and in some cases out of reach. However, you can take steps now to get your finances in a great spot and open up more options for your family. Today, Grant Sapatier, the author of Financial Freedom and the creator of Millennial Money, goes through how he was able to become a millionaire and financially independent by 30, and more importantly, how you can create your own path based on your goals and your priorities. In this episode, we'll get into defining what financial independence and freedom means to you, why simply cutting expenses won't get you to where you want to go, and how side hustles can enrich your lives and help you to get to your FI dreams. Hope you enjoy. You are one of those leading voices with financial freedom and financial independence. And that is a couple of buzz phrases that a lot of people hear, but I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions about it. What does financial freedom and just independence mean to you? I think you're asking the right question because it really is completely personal. I mean, financial freedom to me might mean something very different than it does to you than it does to someone else. Uh, To me, uh, when I started my financial independence journey at the age of 24, uh, financial freedom meant getting out. It meant Mm -hmm. having enough money that I didn't need to work again. It didn't mean that I wouldn't work again, but just having that freedom. 
I mean, I was at the time I was living with my parents. I just had no money. I was completely broke. And I was like, financial freedom to me meant having enough that I just could do what I want with my time. Over time, Mm -hmm. what financial freedom means to me has actually blossomed and changed quite a bit. Uh, through the journey and actually getting through the journey after become financial, becoming financially independent, I realized, and I, it was interesting because I, I didn't realize this as much during the time, during the journey, but that you don't need millions of dollars or to be financially independent to get like 90% of the benefits of it. Mm-hmm. And if I had just stopped and paid a little bit more attention I would have realized that I had so much of that freedom earlier and I didn't have to wait to ultimately get to the goal of having all the money that I would ever need. And, you know, just at the point, I think the biggest moment for me was when I had about a year of expenses. Um, You know, at the time, I, you know, kind of felt a big weight uh, off my shoulders that, okay, I didn't need to rely on a job. I didn't, you know, I was making money on my own at that time. And so I felt really empowered in making money. So I think, yeah, my, my, my view of financial freedom is really changed a lot, uh, you know, as I wrote the book, as I lived my own journey, and as I talked to others, because, you know, for some people, it simply means, you know, not having any more student loan debt, like that literally is the one thing that's keeping them up at night. And you can progressively get more and more freedom in your life, and time and space ultimately to live a life that you love. Um, And that's, that's really the point, no matter what that means to you. Um, And so, I think a lot of people, especially in the FIRE movement, they're singularly focused on getting to this goal of financial independence, you know, but they're not stopping to kind of smell the roses along the way or um, working towards maybe a more immediate goal uh, just to get more time and space uh, to, to, you know, enjoy their life a little bit more if, if they feel like they're not. When we first talked on this podcast, what struck out at me, first of all, like your story of going, I think you had like $2 and 50 something cents in the bank to millionaire in five years is extraordinary. But like the takeaway I got from you was money isn't the goal. It's, it was more on life goals. And of course the finances, that's a tool to get you there. And one of my favorite posts from your site over at Millennial Money is um, that money isn't goal time is. And I think a lot of people on both sides, whether they're on fire or not, miss the point of it. And a lot of couples that listen to this podcast, one spouse is like totally on board on it. Like, yeah, we're going to be financially independent. And the other one's not so much. And I think it's because they don't see the life goal behind that. I think at the end of the day, money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. And especially with couples, I've noticed, I mean, even in my own relationship um, with my wife, you know, money is, it's an incredibly personal thing. And when you come into a couple, you're bringing your own history, your own emotions, your own fears around money, and you're coupling them together, you know, you're pairing them with someone else, and you're trying to find common ground. And, you know, I've been with my wife now for, gosh, over 12 years. And we still think entirely differently about money even to this day, despite all the conversations. And I think that 
at some point I just got, you know, I just accepted how she thought about money, even though it was very different than I thought about money. And then, you know, we went looking for that common ground. But for me, I think a lot of couples make the mistake that they dive into the numbers first. You know, they're like, how much did we spend last month? You know, how, how much did we make last month? As opposed to starting with what I think is the more important question, did we enjoy this last month? Um, are we having fun? Are we happy? Uh, are we living the life based on the money that we have that, that maximizes our enjoyment? Um, and looking back and being like, oh, January was an amazing month. We had a lot of fun and spending time with our family and our priorities as opposed to like, oh, we overspent $400 on food last month. And that seems to be where a lot of people go, but it's really tough, especially with like budgeting and family planning to always be so rigorous and always stick to your schedule when in reality, maybe if, even if you do overspend, but you had a great time, use that information, you know, as you move forward. I tend to think that just, just sitting down with, with your partner and just being like, are we happy? Is, is this the life we want to be living? And then, then talking about the money uh, is is much more effective and, and a lot easier too. I see that's such a big mistake. Uh, and we were guilty of that too. I think, you know, when you're in debt or when you are not financially secure enough, you, that fear sets in and you're like focusing on the numbers because that's something you can track. But at the same time, it's, well, let's look at the big picture. Why are we doing this? And then you can come up with a plan and coming up with a plan, of course, takes some work. And I know people hear about financial independence, like you can do it in 10 years or less or 15 years or less. And they feel like, oh my gosh, this is an elephant. I cannot chew. This is way too much. And they get intimidated. You, since I've known you, you seem like a pretty organized person, um, like that, that, that with the step-by-step uh, process. Like how did you come up with your financial independence game plan? So I'm, I'm, I'm actually not very organized in a vast majority of my life, mm-hmm. but with money I am. Um, okay. I tend to, you know, it's one of those sort of 80-20 rules or, you know, it's like you only have so much energy. And I put, a, I put especially during the time that I was, I was working to become financially independent, I put um, a very, very high amount of my energy and my time towards this goal. And I really fell in love with just money as a philosophical concept and then realized that there's really kind of five or six key things, maybe seven things that will give you 90% of the benefit uh, when it comes to thinking about money. And so that's, that's what I built the book around and my own strategy. Um, The simple thing of you can only cut back so much. Um, a lot of times you're cutting those things in your life that make you happiest and the world tells us to cut them, you know, cut out the going to the sports game with your friends or having a few drinks with your girls after work or going to get a mani petty, whatever those, those small things that sure they add up, but they're not as, you know, those tend to be the things that make you the happiest. And so why would you cut those things that make you the happiest as opposed to perhaps you're driving a car that's, you know, a car payment that's way too high or you should be driving a used car or, you know, you should be living in a smaller apartment or, um, and those are the things often your housing, transportation and food that have the biggest impact on your savings as opposed to cutting back those things that you love. 
a lot of personal finance sites and podcasts focus on spending less, which I do think is a helpful skill, but it's not necessarily, and you, and you got into this, which isn't spending less for spending less's sake. It's, let me look at our expense, you know, like as a couple, we sit down, let's look at those expenses. Is it necessary? And is this bringing us some measure of happiness for, you know, what we're paying, what we're investing? Um, I know for us, we love to try different restaurants in, in eat out. And I know some people in the personal finance space are like, oh my goodness, you can make stuff at home. And we do cook home. We cook a lot at home and we try new dishes, but part of it is an experience. And when we look at that, we're like, you know what? We're going to keep this expense, but we're going to come back here or there. And I love that about your site is also, it's not just, cutting expenses, it's evaluating expenses, seeing the value, whether it's financial or personal. But then you also talk about earning more in the side. Why do you think that's so important? Absolutely. So a vast majority of nine to five jobs, they're not set up to help you reach financial independence as fast as possible. I mean, the way that companies are basically set up, most organizations, is that they're legal pyramid schemes in the sense that the people at the top are making the most money. And so, um, and it's kind of like a carrot. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's dangling in front of you. It's like, you can keep working and keep getting these promotions every year for 20 years. And you might get to the top if you work really hard and you go above and beyond. And by the way, we're going to give you, you know, 3% raises every year and you might get to the top, but it's not, I mean, it, it's set up to benefit the people at the top or the shareholders. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's, that's capitalism. It's just, those are just facts. But oftentimes, I think employees, and, and I'm saying this as a former employee and as an employer, when I, it was my company and I owned it and I had employees, oftentimes I believe that employees, A, they really underestimate the value, their value to the company. And B, they don't advocate for themselves strongly enough. Um, you know, they're too worried that if they ask for a raise or ask for a work remote opportunity, that their boss is going to fire them. But, you know, the simple statistics at most companies is that it costs between 50 and 60% of your full one-year salary to replace you. Like, literally, it's costing a company tens of thousands of dollars to replace you. And so just asking for a raise, A, they're not likely going to fire you, and B, you're likely going to get one probably even beyond what you think simply because it's more expensive to replace you than it is to keep you in some cases. And, I mean, I just see over and over how employees just leave so much money on the table. When I had my own company, less than 10% of my employees ever asked for a raise. It was mind boggling. And that's one of the cool things about writing the book is because I've worn both hats. And I just, I just, I was like, literally, I sat them down. Like I taught them all about, you know, investing. I was just like, you should do all these things. And yeah, only a few of them ever asked for a raise. And I was like, gosh, you're just, you're just leaving money on the table. And I think a lot of them didn't do it because, you know, they feared authority because they didn't quite have the right strategy. That's one of the reasons I, I, I wrote so much in the book about um, 
what I think is the best way to get a raise as a former boss. Um, at the end of the day, if you're making your boss look good, if you're making your company money, if you're saving them time, you know, it, it, it should be pretty easy to get a raise. So a lot of people just leave money on the table just in their full-time job. But when you look at even just your full-time job, in and of itself is not designed to help you become financially independent as quickly as possible. And that's why I really fell in love with side hustling to invest, you know, the simple idea of making money on the side and investing a hundred percent of it to, to ultimately accelerate the amount of money that I was saving and also accelerate the rate of compounding of my investments. And so, um, you know, once I started making money on the side, I felt empowered. I learned a ton about myself. I learned, uh, a number of skills that, um, you know, have, have been extremely useful in my life. You were making good money. I was reading that. Um, and you still had several different income streams and you mentioned you had both hats as an employer kind of want to go back to when you were an employee. How did you feel knowing that, you know, you're at a job, you're working, but you had these other income streams. Did you feel an immediate relief? Was there more leverage for you to negotiate for better um, pay or more benefits? How did that make you feel? Yeah, I mean, when I started side hustling, um, I actually only ended up staying at that full-time job for a year because I was, you know, doing well and enjoying it so much that I just went off and launched my own company. But I really believe that side hustling, it ticks a few really good boxes. First off, a lot of people think that, you know, they're not an entrepreneur. Maybe they don't want to be an entrepreneur, but entrepreneur is a relative term and you don't have to have a big company. You don't have to have a bunch of employees. You don't even have to have, you know, be making $2,000 a month. Like if you're making hundred dollars outside of your full-time job doing something else, you're an entrepreneur. And one of the things is I strongly recommend everyone at least try it to see how it makes them feel to use it. The great thing about side hustling is, you know, you can get paid to learn new skills. You can, um, you know, obviously it's a way to make additional money to invest, but it also teaches you a ton about yourself, what you like, what you don't like, um, and how it makes you feel. Because I, I've worked with some people where, you know, they felt stuck in their full-time jobs and then they just started something small on the side and they made a couple hundred extra dollars and they were kind of miserable in their full-time job but once they started making money on the side, even though it was only a couple hundred extra dollars, that was sufficient for them. Um, it made their full-time job more enjoyable because they were doing something on the side that they really loved. And then, you know, the holy grail is being able to turn something that you love into a more consistent income stream um, that could ultimately you know, help you invest and, and reach FI or, or, you know, pay for your lifestyle. Um, but even if you don't go there, um, just simply trying it out, you know, putting a couple mm -hmm. different irons in the fire. Um, even to this day, I still make money with some of the side hustles I started back then. Uh, um, a simple one is I'm really into Volkswagen camper vans, um, you know, the old little pop-up campers. Yeah. Um, I love them. I absolutely love them. I've always loved them. I just bought one for the book tour uh, that I'm starting soon um, just for that. But I'm always looking because I love them for deals on Volkswagen fans on Craigslist. And whenever I find one, you know, maybe it's a couple times a year, maybe four times a year, whenever I find one, that's a good deal. Um, I'll go, I'll negotiate, I'll buy it. And then if it needs a little work, I'll put some work in. If it doesn't, um, I'll just flip it 
and I flip Volkswagen campers because I love them. And, you know, I'm able to make maybe five, $7,000 in a weekend and I'll still do that just cause I love mm-hmm. it. And so I'm making some extra money on the side doing something I love looking at vans that I would be doing otherwise. I love your de- definition of side hustles. Cause I think people, assume like, oh no, I have to make this into a business or this has to be X amount of hours. And it's like, no, you define what you need it to be. And of course, it, you go into more detail with your book, well, your incredible journey from beginning with a couple dollars in the bank account to a millionaire. I know you had many wins along the way, but are there two big wins that helped you to become financially independent faster? I think the first one, um, and win win is a relative term. I mean, you often think about a win of like, you know, uh, a number. But you know, the first one for me was the first time I sold a fifty thousand dollar project. I, I made this stratospheric leap from selling like five hundred dollar and one thousand dollar websites to a fifty thousand dollar website and it's not like after that day i was just then selling fifty thousand dollar websites i went back to you know what i mean it was kind of an anomaly at first but i was like whoa i was able wow like um i remember the day that that check came in the mail literally like my palms were sweaty when i pulled it out of the mailbox um and that was a huge moment for me because i was like whoa money is really irrational like that, that's what that taught me. It was like, I got someone to pay me $50,000 for this thing that I was selling for a thousand dollars a couple of weeks ago. And it might not happen again, but why, why did this happen? And I started, you know, write about in the book about real versus perceived value and how I sold that project. So that was a huge win for me. You, you can't, you know, benefit from risks that you don't take. And I think a lot of people, undersell themselves and their full-time job and with their side hustles and you got to ask for it the worst thing that they could say is no or you can get fired but that's that's like very 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 small chance um but you know you don't get what you don't ask for and so that was a perfect example where i was like oh this is irrational so i can i can figure out this money thing um and then the second one the second kind of win for me was you know back to your earlier point, once, once I realized that money, um, really success wasn't even about money to me, it was more about peace. Mm-hmm. And I thought that I was chasing a number. I thought that I was chasing a lot of things, but in reality, I, I, I was just chase, chasing some peace in my life. And there's a lot of ways that you can get peace in your life. You don't need millions of dollars. You don't need, six-figure income you can choose that you know in in your day-to-day life um but i think figuring out what success means to you and defining it for yourself just writing it down just a quick paragraph this is what success looks like and success don't write success through the lens of a number or a job title or write it through the lens of a feeling. Um, Where are you? What does it feel like? Who are you with? What are you thinking about? Um, You know, what do you love so much about it? And think about that from a life perspective as opposed to a number of job title and then try to get there and, 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 you know, pin that on your, on your wall or in your cube or in your closet and just write about that kind of that, that 
what success looks like, where you want to be, who you want to be with, what you want to be feeling, and, and then make that your goal um, as opposed to just a number because it probably would take a lot less money um, than you think to, to get there. And maybe you're there already. And that's one of the big takeaways from talking with a lot of readers and um, even in writing the book. You know, I realized that there, there's a lot of people out there that they feel like they don't have enough when in reality they've already won the game. And, you know, if you have a partner that loves you and you love and whether or not you have kids or not, or if you've got good friends, you know, if you um, have some hobbies you enjoy, even if you don't like your job, you know, what a, what a gift just to be able to wake up today, just to be around people we love. And, you know, all this money stuff, it's, um, it's important and it certainly is a pathway to freedom, but don't let it distract you from the simple fact that you can, you can choose to be free today. Um, you know, the, the, a lot of us have already won the game, even though we feel like we're so far behind. And so um, that's something that I learned through this process. And I'm, yeah, really excited to share it with the world. Before we wrap up, I want to focus on some key takeaways I got from speaking with Grant. The first one is clarify what you're working towards. No, you don't need to have all the answers, but when you have a maybe lifestyle goal or what your ideal day looks like goal, that gives you something that you can strive towards, something that can help you make better long-term decisions for your finances because you're considering, is this bringing me closer towards my goal or further from my goal? The second is evaluate expenses beyond the numbers. Yes, you do need to spend less than you earn, but life is more than numbers. Start reviewing your expenses from a quality of life perspective. And finally, side hustles can stay side hustles. There's no reason you can't have a fun money-making hobby. I think it's great if you find a new career with this, but it's also wonderful to have something on your own schedule and on your own terms. So those are my takeaways. I'd love to hear from you. What are you going to use from today's episode? Come let us know on our free Facebook group, Thriving Families. You can join us at couplemoney.com FB. Hope to see you there. Special thanks to Grant for being a part of today's show. I highly recommend you pick up his book, Financial Freedom. Grant really breaks down not only his journey to financial independence, but shows you how you can earn more money to build your own path there. As always, I'll have links in the show notes so you can connect with him on Millennial Money and order his book. I'll also have the resources we mentioned during our chat, as well as bonuses like how you can join and sign up for our free 5 Days to 5K course. It'll show you how to find, save, and earn more money so you can reach your goals. And speaking of saving and making money, next week, we're looking at one of the biggest expenses couples can have, real estate. Whether you're paying a mortgage or having a rental property, how you see that property can have a huge impact on your finances. Julian and Kirsten from Rich and Regular are sharing their experience as both homeowners and real estate investors. So if you haven't already, please make sure you're subscribed. You don't want to miss out on that episode. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever podcast app you use to download, you can find us there. Our theme song was written and performed by Gentle Regime. 
additional music by Lee Rosevere. Finally, and most importantly, thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate it. And thank you for those who have already joined our Thriving Families community. I love talking with you beyond just this episode and seeing how you guys are working on your finances and giving each other ideas. I hope you have a wonderful week. Take care. <laughs>